Welcome to the Cross Lane Podcast, a community committed to bringing people to Jesus. We've been in this series, uh, this is the last message in the Light and the Darkness series. We've been focusing on the seven statements of Jesus from the cross. Um, I can just tell you, I hate to see this series go. I have learned so much as I have gotten ready to teach you each week, and um, just my own personal opinion, you don't have to agree, but I've done some of my best preaching, I think, in the last seven weeks. I just think I have. Um, uh, So seven statements from the cross that really show us how to go through tough days, how to to get through dark days when the wind is blowing and and when nothing seems to be going right. And Jesus models for us what to do. We call it Good Friday, uh, it's good for us. It wasn't good for Jesus. He's, he's physical suffering, betrayal, humiliation, um, rejection, taking the weight of the world on his shoulders, taking the sin of the world on him. Now, when, you're, when you're, you've come, you're of God, and you've lived a completely sinless life, and your whole mission has come to be to, be, to come and live a sinless life, and then the Bible described of Jesus that he became sin for us. That's a spiritual pain that we will never know. The physical pain that Jesus went through on the cross, likely we will never know anything like that. And on that day, Jesus didn't just take our sins away. That would have been enough. But he also took the opportunity to teach us some lessons along the way. And I would just say that only Jesus would do that. Only Jesus would do that. If that's me on the cross, I'm thinking only about me. I'm not thinking about anybody else. I'm not trying to help anybody else. I'm thinking about my pain and my suffering and wondering why somebody isn't tending to my needs. But that's not how Jesus was. He was teaching right up to the very end. Our our anchor passage for this series has been Hebrews chapter 2. I'm sorry, Hebrews chapter 12, verse 2. And I've been reading this to you from the message version. I like this. I like the way it says it. Keep your eyes on Jesus, who both began and finished this race we're in study how he did it and that's what we've been doing in this series we've been studying how Jesus did it because he never lost sight of where he was headed that exhilarating finish in and with God he could put up with anything along the way cross shame whatever and now he's there in the place of honor right alongside God and what he's doing is he the Bible says he is our intercessor he is our intermediary he's representing us to God he's basically saying hey Lord father I know what they're going through I've experienced that temptation I've been in that place I've felt what that feels like I know here's what they need so today we look at the last statement of Jesus it's found in Luke chapter 23 verses 44 to 46 and um, this comes from Luke so it was about noon Your Bible may say the sixth hour. What they did is they started at 6 a.m. and they started counting the hours. So noon would have been uh, the sixth hour. Darkness came over the whole land until 3 in the afternoon. So 3 o'clock would have been the ninth hour. Verse 45. For the sun stopped shining and the curtain of the temple was torn in two. Now that's an interesting detail that, that Luke gives us. You have to understand Luke was a doctor. And so when Luke writes, it's, it's full of detail. You get a lot of detail. A lot of, just read the book of Luke, and you'll just be amazed at how many little things he includes along the way. And this is one of them. He talks about the, the curtain in the temple. There was this giant curtain 
and huge thing, heavy. And it's, it separated the Holy of Holies from the, the normal area of the temple. And no one went into the Holy of Holies except one person, the high priest. And he went in once a year. And before he went into the Holy of Holies, he went through a cleansing ceremony. He, he got himself right. Because they knew that if you went in there unauthorized, if you went in there and you hadn't taken care of all the business you needed to have taken care of, you would drop dead. Um, you know, it's kind of like that thing, no one sees God and lives. That's kind of what was going on. And so, and they took this so seriously. Now, a normal person would never get to go in there. Only the high priest. And then only once a year. And so, when, when the tradition says that when the high priest would go into the Holy of Holies, they would tie like jingle bells around his ankles. So that when he walked, it would make noise. And they also tied a cord to his ankle. Because if he got in there and something went south and he dropped dead, they weren't going in after him, right? So they would listen on the outside for the bells to ring. And if they, I guess if the bells ever stopped ringing, they would grab the cord and pull him out, kind of like a fish, you know, <laughs> like, like fishing for a priest, a high priest. Um, but that's, the tradition says that's what they did because they were so afraid that if he died, they could, wouldn't able, be able to retrieve him. So they figured out a way to do that. So the curtain, when it rips, it is a symbol of how that barrier between God and man no longer exists. You can now go straight to God. You have Human beings would now have access into the presence of God. It was wonderful news, great news. Verse 46, Jesus called out with a loud voice. Here's our phrase. Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. When he had said this, he breathed his last Here's the final lesson on how to be light in the darkness in our Light in the Darkness series. Finally, surrender yourself to God. Surrender your day to God and let it go. Surrender your day to God and let it go. If statement number six last week, it is finished, if that was about triumph, statement number seven is about trust. It's about trusting God. While Jesus is feeling rejected and, and, and abandoned by his Father, he still decides to put his life in God's hands. All of us feel that way from time to time. We all go through those periods where we just feel like God's not listening. God, are you there? I mean, do you care about me? Do you know what I'm going through? God, where are you? But here's the real truth. You will never experience all of God's peace until you decide to give it all to him. You're never going to know the true peace of God until you decide to give all parts of your life to God and to trust him implicitly with your life. Most of us don't want to do that. We'd rather co-manage our problems. We, we kind of want to co-manage. What we want to do is we want to bring God in kind of as a consultant. God, I've got it. I'll manage it. But if you could just help me a little bit, that'd be great. Hey, God, I got this, and I just, I just need you to help me with it. But listen, it can't really be God's problem if it's going to be your problem. It can't be God's problem and your problem at the same time. And what Jesus does here with this last statement is he quotes from the Psalms. He quotes scripture. Psalm 31, verse 4. Keep me from the trap that is set for me, for you are my refuge. And then here's our seventh statement. Into your hands <clears throat> I commit my spirit. Deliver me, Lord, my faithful God. And the psalmist is saying, listen, it's a trap. It's trying to trap you into not giving your problems to God. 
It's a trap for you to hold on to it. It's a trap for you to worry about things. So to all of my worriers that have gathered here this morning, and I know who you are, right? Because we have conversations. Brett, I'm just worried. I just, you know, Brett, you know me. I'm just a worrier. Yeah, I know. Some of you can't. You just, someone in the first service I'm really good friends with, and they just, they are the biggest worrier I know. Not warrior, worrier, right? Um, This is your verse. All you worriers, this is your verse. We all worry about stuff. We worry about our health. Some of you worry about stuff like flying. I heard a true story about a pastor. This guy flies all over the place. He speaks all the time. He's a great pastor, um, wonderful preacher and speaker. And he travels all over the place, and he racks up frequent flyer miles, so he flies all the time, but he's, he's scared when he flies. And um, you, you know how the, you tack, they back out of the, the uh, skywalk, and the, what are they, am I saying that right, skywalk? What is that thing that you walk down? Sky, the thingy that you get on the airplane. You back away from that. <clears throat> You get on the, you go out in taxi, and there's that last turn that you make, right, where you're, you're on the main runway, and you kind of get a sense. You can feel the engines kind of revving up, and it's not going to be long that the pilot really hits the switch, fires up the, the jets, and you feel that thrust in your back, right? <clears throat> Maybe you reach down and grab hold of something. Well, about that time, and then, you know, the plane kind of rattles as it's going down the runway, and you're like, oh, help him, Jesus. Well, this pastor, as the plane's going down, he, every time he's flying, <clears throat> he does this. He, he says this prayer. He says, oh, Lord Jesus, may the wings of your angels come and lift up this plane and help it fly. Well, he said that one time, and this little old lady sitting next to him touched him on the arm, and she said, honey, when it's your time, it's your time, Okay? <laughs> And he said, I know that, but maybe it's not my time. What if it's the pilot's time and it's not my time? So we worry. We worry about things. We worry about our kids. We worry about our kids. I, maybe you've read this, heard this. This is a letter that a dad got from his son. Dear Dad, it is with great regret and sorrow that I am writing you. I am eloping with my girlfriend because I want to avoid a scene with you and mom. My girlfriend Jenny and I have found real passion. She is so nice in spite of how she looks with all of her piercings, tattoos, and body modifications. But dad, it's not just the passion. Jenny is pregnant. She says that we will be very happy when the baby comes. I knew you wouldn't like the fact that she is somewhat older than me, but she already owns her own trailer, and she has enough wood chopped for it to last us throughout the rest of the winter. So Jenny's industrious, you know. Got to give her that. She wants lots of kids, and now I want lots of kids too. Jenny has taught me that marijuana doesn't really hurt anyone. In fact, we will be growing it and trading it with our friends for all the cocaine and ecstasy we want. We're hoping that science will find a cure for some of Jenny's diseases. She deserves it. I know you're worried, Dad, but I'm 17 and I know how to take care of myself. And someday, I'm sure, we will come back to visit you and meet, and you can meet all of your grandchildren. Signed, your son, John. There was a P.S. None of the above is true. I'm at the neighbor's house. 
And I just wanted to remind you that there are worse things in, the, in life than the report card that is sitting on your desk. <laughs> I love you. Call me when it's safe to come home. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> we worry about stuff. We do. We, get, we worry about We worry about our kid. I mean, there's no shortage of things for us to worry about, right? Dee Dee can tell you that I, I, one of the things that drives me crazy in life are church signs. You know the sign outside? Things that churches put on their church sign. Sometimes I see them, I'm like, oh, oh my goodness. They're hurting the cause. Like, who, who thought to put that on the sign? This is uh, one of the ones I'm talking about. Don't let worries kill you. Let the church help. Okay? <laughs> we don't need that, okay? That, that's not helping. Today, we're going to look at, at one passage of Scripture out of Matthew, a piece of Scripture that we refer to as the Sermon on the Mount. And uh, it's, it's Jesus' most famous sermon. And you can read the whole thing in, in uh, Matthew's chap- Matthew chapters 5, 6, and 7. There's one whole section on worry. And there's actually a verse that comes right before that section. You know, in your Bible, it, it usually gives you breaks little chapter headings and things like that and there's a there's a where the section on worry starts right be, right before that break there's a verse that gets read and oftentimes it's it's meant that break is meant to separate those thoughts but i actually think that that last verse should be included in the section on worry and i think as i read this you'll understand why i think that i'm going to pick it up in matthew chapter 6 verse 24 it says no one can serve two masters and we're going to talk about worry today. And when you get into the Greek, the word that when you get to the word worry, what it what it's talking about is a divided mind. A divided mind. It's a mind that says, Lord, you take it. No, I want it. I'm going to take it back. No, Lord, I'm going to give it to you. No, I'm going to take it back. And it's it's when you worry, it's you're trying to give it to God, but there's this part of you that wants to hang on to it. Here's the thing, lordship is really a question of are you going to let God have control of your life or are you not? That's really what it comes down to when we talk about lordship. Are you going to give the Lord control of your life or are you going to hold it in reserve and you're going to try and do it yourself? Right off the bat, Jesus makes the statement, look, you're going to have to decide if I'm the Lord or if you're the Lord. You're going to have to decide that. Now, I don't think I need to talk very long to get you to see how it's better for you to let Jesus be the Lord of your life. He's earned it. He knows what he's doing. Way better than you or me. No one can serve two masters. Either you will hate one and love the other, or you will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. Now, he mentions money, but I think it's a lot bigger than that. I think what he's saying is, are you going to try to take care of you, or are you going to let me take care of you? You say, well, Brett, what in the world does that have to do with worry? Well, the next verse says this. Therefore, I tell you, that therefore is a connector. It's saying, hey, what was just said goes with what I'm about to say. Okay, based on that, now consider this. Therefore, I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or drink, or about your body, what you will wear. He asks this question, he's saying, look, why are you worrying about these temporal things? Why are you worried about these temporary things that really in the grand scheme don't really amount to all that much? Why aren't you worried about more important eternal things? You see, nobody when they get to heaven is going to think to themselves, I think I left the coffee on too long. 
nobody's going to say something like, you know, I think I might have put too much fertilizer on my lawn. Or, or you know, nobody's going to be worried about whether or not their team won the game. Second part of verse 25, is not life more than food and the body more than clothes? In other words, you're worried about all the wrong stuff. Look at the birds of the air. They do not sow or reap or store away in barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. God says, I've got them. They eat because I, I give them something to eat. Are, and then he finishes with this. Are you not much more valuable than they? Aren't you more valuable than a bird? You think if God's concerned about a bird that he's not worried about what's going on in your world? That famous song, his eye is on the sparrow. And I know he watches me. Can any one of you, by worrying, add a single hour to your life? In other words, even if you, even if you do worry, it's not going to help you. You're not getting anywhere with it. It's not helping. You're actually taking from your life when you worry. You're not, you're not helping your life. You're, you're cutting your life short. The more you worry, the more you work yourself up and stress yourself out over things that are going on in your world, if you worry about it too much, it can really start to have a, a negative effect because worrying is you trying to control the uncontrollable. Think about it. That's what worry is. You are trying to control the uncontrollable. Verse 28, and why do you worry about clothes? See how the flowers of the field grow? They do not labor or spin. Yet I tell you that not even Solomon in all his splendor was dressed like one of these. If that is how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and tomorrow is thrown into the fire, will he not much more clothe you, you of little faith? And Jesus is saying, why is it that you don't trust God in the middle of all of your stuff? I would like to think that I am not much of a worrier, but I have my stuff as well. There are things that I find myself laying awake at night worried about. I know better, but I still do it. Here's the thing. Every time I catch myself worrying, what I'm doing is I'm making a statement that basically says, God, I can handle this better than you. You're not as good at, as, as I am at my stuff. And I'm just going to hold this one back and I'm going to take care of it. I'm not going to give this to you. Really, I don't mean to say that, but that's really what I'm saying is, God, I don't trust you with this. I don't think you're big enough for this. And, and God, you're not paying attention to the right things. That's the kind of stuff we're saying to God when we worry the way we worry. And really, what we do is we, we take back what should have always been God's to begin with. God says, look, I want to I meet your needs. I want to take care of you. Give that to me. Let me carry that for you. I never meant for you to carry that. That's way too heavy for you. Just give that to me. Jesus' final statement is basically, okay, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. I'm surrendering. I'm going to let go and I'm going to give it to you. You say, Brett, it's not easy. I, I know it's not easy. This is one of the major things that Christians struggle with in their life is this idea of worry and letting God have it and us not worrying about things. The following verses here in Matthew really are an outline. It's kind of a, a, a three-step journey of becoming somebody who can trust God and, and becoming somebody who can truly 
let go of the things that are going on in their life that are getting them all worked up. Now, I know that everybody has worries. But they've done some research. And uh, they've, they've basically studied nationally, by state, how, you know, what they've ranked us by state. You can go out to a, an organiza- a, a website called studyfinds.org and um, you can see this research that I'm about to tell you. But what they found is that out of 50 states, Indiana ranks number 19 as the most stressed state in the union. We're number 19. We ranked 30th in work-related stress. We ranked 22nd in money-related stress. We're ranked 30th in family-related stress. But we ranked 12th in health-related stress. What I'm trying to say is that when Jesus put this Sermon on the Mount out there, it was relevant for every single person that was listening to him then, and it's relevant for every single one of us today. It is amazing how relevant the words of Jesus are for, belief, for anybody, really, uh, in our modern day. We'll get back to Matthew 6 in just a minute, but I want to show you a verse that if you are someone who has like a life verse or if you've got a set of verses that, that you kind of return to all the time and you're, you know, when you get stressed out or whatever, I want to add a verse for you. This would be a verse that I would recommend that you memorize in some form. This comes out of Philippians chapter 4. <clears throat> I'll just remind you, Paul's in prison when he writes this, and he's not sure he's going to get out. He's not sure how long he's going to live. But this is what he wrote. He said, don't worry about anything. Instead, pray about everything. Tell God your needs. So I want to do a little uh, audience participation thing just to drive this home. I'm going to say something. I want you to repeat it with me. I want you to say, don't worry. Let's say it together. Don't worry. Don't worry. Okay, now we're going to add the second part to that. Instead, pray. So we're going to say, don't worry. Instead, pray. You ready? Don't worry. Instead, pray. When you're tempted to worry, don't worry, instead pray. That's what you need to be saying to yourself. That's what scripture says. That's what Philippians chapter 4 verse 6 is talking about. Don't worry, replace your worry with prayer. Let's revisit what prayer is. I think that some people think that that praying is trying to figure out this expansive vocabulary and impressing God with our flowery language and God look at me and how beautifully I can pray and that is not what prayer is prayer is not you sounding like somebody out of the cast of Downton Abbey or the crown okay Lord we beseech thee no it's not like your prayers unlock some kind of combination with God and he suddenly goes oh now I'll listen because they put the right words together that's not how God is God's interested in what you have to say. God wants to hear you pray, but what God wants to hear is God wants to hear you surrender. That's praying. Praying is when you look at God and say, God, I'm not going to withhold this from you anymore. It's that that moment when, when after you've talked about, Lord, this is bothering me and this is bothering me and this is a concern, and then you say, but God, I trust you. I'm going to give this to you, and I'm not going to worry about this anymore. Prayer is not informing God. I think some people think God's got a steno pad, and, you know, he's taking notes as we say our prayers. Oh, so-and-so sick. I didn't know that. 
Oh, that's a problem in your life. I didn't realize that you were so upset about that. No, God knows. God knows. And whenever I talk like this, inevitably somebody will say, well, Brett, if God knows, then why do we pray? What's the sense in it if he already knows? We pray so that we can hear ourselves pray. You need to hear yourself. You need to listen to what worries you. Sometimes when you say it out loud, you're like, really? I'm worried about that? God, I'm sorry. That's so silly. I shouldn't be worried about it. God, I'm not going to worry about that. It's, It's just, when you say it out loud sometimes, it comes back and the echo you hear is like, well, I shouldn't be worried about that at all. Prayer is the moment you say, God, take this. I'm not doing a very good job, and this isn't going all that great, and I'm going to give it to you, and I'm going to trust you with it. Prayer is the moment you let go. You may pray a lot, but you're not praying, not until you get to a place where you're basically saying, God, I'm not going to mention this again. I'm going to tell you that this is something that wants to worry me, and I'm going to give it to you, and I'm going to walk away, and I'm going to trust you with it. Now listen. There's a part of praying, there's a part of worrying. I, I don't know where, I, I've, I've heard a statistic years ago, and I'm sure I'm butchering it, but you'll get the idea. I, I think it was something like 80% of what we worry about in life never happens. 80%. You're worried, you're worried, oh, this could happen, this could happen. And 80% of, I'm worried that the plane may go down. More than 80% of the time, that doesn't happen. I mean, a lot of the things we worry about never come to fruition. About the, the statistics say 80%. Of the remaining 20%, 10% of the things that you might worry about, you actually have some control over. You have some part of in it. You can do something, right? You can get your hands involved and you can actually do something. The other 10% is completely beyond your control. So 90% of what we would worry about Either never never happens or we have no control over it whatsoever. But I'll guarantee you that it takes up more than than 10% of your time to worry about it. Right? You worry about it a lot. Don't worry. Give it to God. Verse 7, if you do this, this is continuing in that Philippians 4 passage. If you do this, if you you don't worry but you instead give it to God, here's what's going to happen. You will experience God's peace which is far more wonderful than the human mind can understand. I have one simple goal for you this morning, and that is whatever you dragged in here that you're worried about, some of you, I know you, you stayed up last night worrying, laid in bed, oh my goodness, what am I going to do? What am I going to do? What, what if that happens? And you're here and you got your smile on, but behind the smile, there's something that's, got, that's eating you from the inside out and you're worried about it. My goal is that you will have brought it in here this morning and when you leave, it stays in here. And you've said, God, I'm giving this to you. If there's something, Lord, that you need me to do to help with this, if, if I need to ask forgiveness, if I, need to, if I need to forgive somebody myself, if I need to apologize, if, I need, if there's something that I need to do, I'll do it. God, you just show me what it is. But beyond that, I'm not going to worry about this anymore. I'm going to trust you. I'm going to trust you to know what's best for me. A lot of the things we go through that are hard, when life goes south, that's when God is teaching us something. He takes us through the fire sometimes so that we can learn some things that we need for life. And I know that doesn't sound pleasant. And you're like, Brett, I don't like that. Well, I don't like it either. But here's what I can tell you. I don't hardly remember any of the good stuff. When I'm having a ball, I don't, my memory's pretty short. 
but you take me through the fire and I remember stuff, right? That's when, that's when impressions get made. That's when we, we're like, oh, those two things are connected. So my goal is that you, whatever you brought in here, you would take out. I want you to experience the second half of that verse, that you would experience the peace of God that would be so profound that your mind can't even wrap its, you can't wrap your head around it. That you're like, I can't believe that this is something that used to keep me awake at night and I've given it to God and I've really given it to God and I don't worry about it anymore and now I just have peace. Whatever happens, God is going to see me through. You say, well, Brett, how do we do that? Well, let's go back to Matthew. Let's pick up three little principles, okay? This will go quick. I promise this doesn't take long. Number one, in order for you to really do that, in order for you to pray instead of worrying about it, you've got to get to know God, okay? You've got to get to know God. And if you know God, I would say you need to get to know God better. Get to know him better. Listen, the more you know him, the more you will trust him. The better you know this, the better you will trust him. It's just, a, it's just a fact. When you meet a new friend, you don't trust them right up front, but the more you get to know them, you start to trust them. And then after a while, you've known somebody for years and years and years, and you start saying things like, they're like a brother to me. I trust them with my life. I've been following Jesus <clears throat> almost 50 years. Excuse me. I hate it when this happens. Excuse me. You guys need to pray for me when that happens, okay? I've been following Jesus almost 50 years of my life. God has never let me down. I was in a season one time, and let's just say it wasn't a great season. It was a pretty rough season. I was having trouble, and I was really, really struggling. And my mother <clears throat> knew that I needed help. And, and, you know, a lot of you know that my mom and I are really close. And we were talking one time, and I was kind of letting her know what was going on and what my worries were. And she asked me one question, and it changed everything for me. She said, Brett, has God ever let you down? Has he ever not been there for you? Hasn't God taken care of you your entire life? And I said, yep. She said, then this conversation is over. We're not talking about this anymore. You know this, Brett. You know that God is going to take care of you. Why are you worried about this? Trust him. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Now, you can't fast track getting to know somebody. You can't fast-track trusting somebody. It takes time. But I would encourage you to get to know God better. Jesus said this, Do not worry saying, What shall we eat or what shall we drink or what shall we wear? And then he says, For the pagans run after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them. God's got you. More than you know he's got you, he's got you. I love how the message translates this verse. People who don't know God and the way he works worry over these things. 
See, when you worry, what you're conveying to the outside world, whether you realize it or not, is, well, they, don't, they must not know God very well. And I know you guys. I know you walk with Jesus. But when you refuse to let it go and give it to God and you carry it with you and you're constantly saying, oh, boy, I'm worried about this. What you're communicating to an outside world is, well, they don't trust Jesus very much. One of the things we're trying to do at Cross Lane is we're trying to get you to know God. I'm trying to bring you to Jesus to get you closer to him. And the closer you get to him, the more you're going to know him. The Sermon on the Mount kind of takes a turn here. And Jesus does this little turn in his teaching. And he gives us the second principle. It's this, to put God first in every area of your life. Put God first in every area of your life. Basically what Jesus is saying is, instead of putting all your energy into worry, why don't you put it into something else? He says, instead of worrying, seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. Instead of worrying about your agenda, why don't you start to focus on God's agenda? And what happens when you begin to focus on God's agenda instead of yours, your agenda starts to morph into God's agenda. What really happens is things start to change in your life at that point. It starts to look an awful lot like his agenda. There have been times when we've had something big going on at Cross Lane. Um, So you have to understand my world. I'm a pastor. Everything in my life is oriented to trying to help people, uh, trying to serve, trying to just trying to do what I can to make life easier for people to encourage people, to pray for people, to be there for them, to talk to them, to counsel, to, to teach, to, you know, preach. Any, I'm just, that's just my world. And so, you know, there are times, there's Christmases, Easter's, big, the big times that you would expect when we're raising money and we're having a big day or when I'm vision casting or, I mean, really, any Sunday, you, you show up here and you expect my smile and face and you expect me to be in a good mood and come out and I better be funny and I better be entertaining and you know, come on, Brett, be on. But you know what? I go through stuff too. I have those seasons when, when I've got something that's eating at me or I'm angry or I'm, I'm disappointed or I'm depressed or I've, I'm, there's a relational thing in my life that's not right or, you know, it could be any number of things. And there have been those times when I was expected to be here and to lead and to speak and to, to, to be Brett and I just had to leave whatever it was that was bothering me behind. And I had to focus in on my job, and my job basically is to make God's agenda most important. And so whenever I've had to do that, and I focus in on, okay, God, I'm here, I'm I'm trying to put all that stuff behind me. And in those moments when I have focused in on what God wanted and less on what I wanted, things have gone so much better for me in the long run. Because I stopped being focused on what it was that was going on in my life and what I was going to do about it. And I was way more focused on trying to serve God and what he was about. And it's as if, it's not as if, it is like God said, I'm going to, I'll take care of that. Brett, stop worrying about that. I've, I've got that. Would you put your mind and your attention on me and the stuff I'm calling you to? Would you make my agenda, your agenda? Let's leave that agenda behind. I'll address all that stuff. And it got better because I had something that I had to be focused on for God, and it forced me not to be focused on me. Jesus says, how about pouring your life into ministry? How about pouring your life into what I'm about? I'm just telling you, when you put God first 
you're going to have a better week. When you put God first in your marriage, you're going to have a better marriage. When you put God first in your finances, your finances are going to be in better shape. When you put God first with your kids, your kids are going to be great kids. I was talking to a good friend of mine this morning. They have a great son. This kid, I wouldn't be surprised if he ends up in ministry. That doesn't just happen by accident. This young couple puts God first in their life, and they put God first when it comes to raising this boy up. And you can tell. It it shows. God honors you when you put him first. Finally, live one day at a time. That's the third thing. Live one day at a time. Let me put it to you like this. Don't open your umbrella until it starts to rain. That makes sense? Too many times, the weatherman says it's going to rain. We walk outside, it's a beautiful day. Well, there's rain coming. Well, umbrella up. Weatherman says it's going to rain. Yeah, but that's not till like Wednesday. Up, oh, umbrella up. No. It's, you know, when you put your umbrella up in the middle of a beautiful day, you don't see the blue sky. You don't hear the blue birds. You don't see the beautiful weather. The sun can't hit you in the face. You just walk around with this weight and this cloud and this little shadow, and it's depressing. You're under your little umbrella because you're worried. When I was a freshman in Bible college, we had a, we had a freshman Bible class. It's infamous. If, if anybody's ever gone to Johnson, they know what I'm talking about. Brad's here today. He knows what I'm talking about. And we had a, a professor named Dr. Black. Dr. Black was an intimidating old man. We were scared of him. He didn't put up with much stuff at all. And he, he, he towed the line. I mean, he made you tow the line. It, it was pretty. And so I, my, I had, my grandmother had married this man later in her life. Um, she'd been a widow for a long time, and, and she met this man. It was a wonderful guy. His name was Pleasant. Pleasant. We called him Plez. And uh, I came to really love and respect Plez. He, he became like a grandfather to me. And as really late in his life, he started to get sick, and, and, it, and he would go through a season where we thought we were going to lose him. And then he would rally. I mean, rally to the point that he was going out on a boat fishing by himself. I mean, it was just like unbelievable. Like Mom House Plez, well, he was fishing last week. What? Yeah, he got better. I mean, several times he went through this thing where we thought we were going to lose him. And then Mom called me at, at school one time, and she said, Brett, I really think this is probably the time you need to be making plans to come home soon because I don't think Plez is going to be with us much longer. So, I, you know, we had a test coming up in, in Freshman Bible, and I went to my, my, my professor, Dr. Black, scared to death, I approached him, you know, I said, Dr. Black, um, I just want to talk to you because we've got this test coming up, and I've got a, uh, my grandfather is really sick, and I'm, I'm likely going to be called away to go attend the, the services for that, and I, I, you know, I just want you to know that I may not be here for that test. And he, as you would expect, a seasoned Bible college professor, he looked at me and he smiled, gave me a grandfatherly smile, put his hand on my shoulder, and he said, son, why don't we just address that when the time comes? In other words, take your umbrella down. Okay, You got your umbrella up, it's a beautiful day. Nothing's happened yet. We'll cross that bridge when it comes to us, but let's not get ahead of ourselves. We will worry about that tomorrow. Jesus said, therefore, do not worry about tomorrow. Tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. 
So today, on Palm Sunday, as we think about Christ on the cross, let's get in this moment and let's think about a God who loves us so much that nothing was out of bounds when it came to our redemption. Nothing was out of bounds when it came to our reconciliation back to God. God said, I will pay any price to buy them back unto me, even if it costs me my own son. God said, if that's what it costs, I'll do it. And as we look at Jesus on the cross dying for us, here's the conclusion. To truly find light in the darkness, to live through whatever it is that you're facing, you have to place it in the hands of God and leave it there. Place it in the hands of God and leave it there. Place it, leave it. Place it. Leave it. I know some of you drag stuff in here this morning. I know you're worried. You don't talk about it. Maybe you've talked about it so much you think to yourself, man, nobody wants to hear this. But I just want to pray over you this morning. Just pray. There's somebody in here that really needs prayer for this. And so we just want to stop down before Shelby comes out. I want to pray for you. Pray with me. Father, I don't know what it is in us that, that just drives us to this place where we withhold things from you. We think you can't handle it. What, what's wrong with us? God, you have proven time and time again that you are not going to let us down. You have proven time and time again that you can be trusted. And Lord, we get so focused on our problems, they become huge. And it's not until we really start to focus in on you that our problem starts to shrink because we start to see how big you are. We start to see that nothing is a surprise to you. Our problems are not a surprise to you. It's not like you don't know what to do. You know exactly what to do. The question is, do we trust you? Are you our Lord or are you not? And so this morning, Father, I pray that we could settle that for a lot of us in the room where we say, you know what? He is the Lord, and I'm not going to worry about that anymore. I trust Him. I may have some work to do, and if I do, I'll do that work. But I'm no longer going to worry about the things that I can't control. That's God's department. He's bigger than me, and I'm going to leave it with Him. Father, as people do that in faith, I know that you will do what you do, which is take care of it. You're going to handle it. And I pray that you will increase the faith of the people in this room as you do. I pray all these things in Jesus' wonderful, glorious, holy name.